Good morning, church family. It's good to see you all. Um, and it's good to be together and to sing of our hope in Jesus. Um, it's a, uh, there's a lot going on. Uh, it's that time of year. Um, <clears throat> as, as we have been speaking about, and as you saw, as we lit candles and as Lawson shared, we're, we're in, in, in a season of Advent uh, for these weeks leading up to Christmas. Um, and, and so in, in, the, in light of Advent, uh, we are gonna spend time talking about uh, today about peace, and we're gonna be looking together uh, at Luke chapter one. So we're not starting back over in Luke. Um, you don't have, No fear, we'll, we will pick back up in the gospel of Luke in the new year. Um, we won't have to start from chapter one, but that's where we are today. So if you'd like to follow along, you can turn there to follow along. You know, there's some people are Christmas people, right? Like, you know those people. They're Christmas people, and some of you aren't Christmas people. Uh, and we, we, we aren't gonna broadcast who you are, and we won't call you Scrooge um, because that wouldn't be nice. Um, no judgment. There's no judgment here. Um, and I thought that I was kind of elite level into Christmas until I got married. And then I didn't, what I didn't know was there was like seven or eight more levels between where I was and where you could be. Um, so, you know, that's marriage shows you a lot of things. And that was part of it. But I still, I'm, I'm a sucker for it. Uh, I, I like watching the shows, I like, I like the songs, uh, the food, uh, the Advent services, and all, all of the particular things about the season, the Christmas lights. Uh, we've already driven a couple times through our neighborhood to go see uh, what has happened with Christmas lights there with the kids. But as the older that I've gotten, uh, there's something that I've noticed each year that it just kind of bugs me. And it's, 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 like, it's like that little pebble that gets in your shoe on a long walk. At first, it's like, maybe it's okay. And then but after a while, it's just like, no, that kind of bothers me. Um, just enough. See, there, there's this, this kind of famous Christmas trope, and you've seen it kind of through a lot of Christmas books and movies. Um, and, and so whether it's the Dickens Scrooge, which there's like so many of those, um, and they're so, they're so great. Uh, whether it's the, the Tim Allen Santa Claus, uh, whether it's the Polar Express or the Grinch, uh, the Jim Carrey Grinch, that's, that's, my, that's my Grinch of choice. Or, or whether it's just the multitude of cheesy Hallmark shows that some of you have been watching since July. Um, there are so many Hallmark shows. Uh, but the story in, in so many of these stories often goes the same way. That someone just doesn't get Christmas. Maybe they're too busy. Maybe they're too grumpy. Uh, maybe it all just seems fake. Maybe they have pain from their past. Maybe they've, it's just been a hard year uh, and they, they just can't handle Christmas. Uh, but one way or another, there's a breakthrough. A miracle happens and something pierces their heart. I'm telling you, this is gonna like change the way, uh, if you haven't thought about it already, this will change the way you watch most Christmas shows. But the, the person whose heart was hard, they're changed. They come to their senses. They see the light. It's a beautiful thing. You can't help but tear up when the Grinch's heart grows, right? It's amazing when he finally decides, what if Christmas, he thought, doesn't come from a store. What if Christmas perhaps means a little bit more? In Bill Murray's Scrooge, which I don't um, recommend for everyone, uh, but there's a great Christmas monologue at the end of the movie after he's been vi visited by the three spirits uh, and he proclaims through tears how he's a changed man. And I'm not gonna do it justice, but he says something along these lines. He says, this miracle can happen to you. It can happen every day. You've just got to want that feeling. And if you like it and you want it, you'll get greedy for it. 
You'll want it every day of your life and it can happen to you. It's a good feeling. It's really better than I've felt in a long time. But in these stories, and even in that climactic moment, what, what reorients everything? Like what, what was the change? What, what brings about such, such peace? What changed that unchangeable person? And it's usually that they were altered or changed by the true meaning of Christmas, by warmth and family and cheer and happiness. But I think what we're getting in these little moral tales is just kind of a dabbling in something real. And maybe you watch these stories and, and you're like, like many people do in our culture and, and you're, you're drawn to them and it makes you feel warm inside. And maybe you want that feeling that Scrooge had at the end. You, you long for that feeling of things being right, of being whole again. We're made for that. Like we're supposed to want that. But the recipe for something real, something that lasts, is more than warmth. It's more than Christmas songs. It's more than the Hallmark movie hangover. If all we get is the warmth that our sentiment and our emotion can wrangle up, then Christmas is hollow. It's dabbling in the spoils without ever feasting on the substance. It's like a battery operated fireplace. All glow, but no warmth. George Whitfield asked the question, How is it that we can celebrate Christmas so easily with so little actual conversation of our very real savior? And I think the answer for many of us would be, uh, it's because we've convinced ourselves that we can have real peace without the Prince of Peace. And what we really need is not the cheap glow of a Merry Christmas. No, we need to be warmed by the lasting peace that comes from Christ. And so as we look at the scriptures together today, I want us to see four realities about the true peace that comes from Christ. Number one, peace prepared. Number two, peace promised. Number three, peace with us. And number four, peace yet to come. Let's go to the Lord and let's let's pray and ask him to help us. Would you just begin by, by praying for yourself, pray for your own heart that, that the Lord would give you ears to hear um, and that his word would speak to you and would change you this morning. Now, would you pray for me uh, that I would speak only uh, what Christ would have us hear, that anything else would be removed from my speaking and, and removed from our ears, that we would hear from the Lord Jesus. Father, this morning, would you give us, uh, would you give us a, a vision of the Prince of Peace, uh, the one who is our, our hope, uh, the one who sustains us, the one who is with us. 
Lord, we need you. Would you help us to hear? Would you help us not just to, to gloss over, but to, to plumb the depths of your goodness? So we ask all of this in Christ's name. Amen. So we begin with number one, peace prepared. One of the first hints in the New Testament that Jesus was going to be the Prince of Peace that had been promised was, was today's passage. Uh, in the text we, we read earlier, uh, just a moment ago, uh, here in Luke's first chapter, it's the birth announcement of John the Baptist. Uh, and he is, as you know, the prophet who prepares the way for the Messiah. He's really the last of the Old Testament prophets, the ones announcing this coming Messiah. And so let's, let's listen again to, to what the, the Spirit says through, through John's dad, Zechariah, who's, who's a Hebrew priest. Um, and yeah, he's talking about John. He's talking about his son being born. It's an, an announcement in that way. But a lot like John's life, Zechariah's announcement is really more about Jesus. Um, and so here, here we go, starting in verse, uh, we'll start in verse 68. It says, blessed is the Lord, the God of Israel, because he's visited and provided redemption for his people. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant, David. So this is, this is who Jesus is. He's a horn of salvation. That's not something we call him a lot, but it is, he, he's like a ram's horn. He's powerful. He's strong. He is the strength of the father and he had to be strong. Because God's people needed to be saved. They needed to be rescued. Well, saved from who? Let's, let's keep going uh, in verse 71. Salvation from our enemies and from the hand of those who hate us. Zechariah is seeing what's going on here. He's saying this is, all we've known is conflict. That's what we've known as a nation. But, but, but he knows Jesus is here to free us, to save us. But what, what kind of life as Jesus saves the people, what kind of life does he free them for? He, he says it, it, was, it was the life that, that God promised back in Abraham. That's what Zechariah is saying here. So look, listen to how he describes it. Uh, starting at the end of, of verse 73, he says, to grant that we, having been rescued from the hand of our enemies, would serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness in his presence all our days. This was the expectation of God's people always that they would live with God. They would live without having to look over their shoulder and fear that everything would just be right for all of our days. And what does that sound like? Sounds like heaven, right? Sounds, sounds like the garden of Eden. Just so perfect. It sounds amazing. Every need met. And you know what that state is called. Let's, let's continue reading and we see what it's referred to. Uh, and look, it will start in verse 78. Because of our God's merciful compassion, the dawn from on high will visit us. So it's, he's saying it's like a new day and Jesus is the sun. He, it's like Jesus is turning the lights on in a dark room. And here's what we're gonna find when the light gets turned on. Verse 79, he's going to shine on those who live in darkness and the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. So no more bumping into walls. No more feeling around in the dark and stepping on Legos. No more stumbling in the shadow of death. No, when the Messiah comes, you'll see it all clearly. You'll see the pathway before you. And you know what that path is gonna be like? It's gonna be a pathway of peace. All of life will be a walking in peace. 
And this is what they had looked for. This is what uh, we looked at last week it, through the prophet Isaiah, that this, this Messiah, the one that Isaiah called the, the Prince of Peace, they're waiting for him. So this wasn't a, a new idea that Zechariah was introducing. It was something God's people had always wanted. And so, so if peace is what they've wanted, so we gotta figure out, okay, well, what, what is it? What did that look like? What, what, what is this peace? So number two, peace promised. Peace to us sounds like a pretty pedestrian idea. Um, it's just a, it's a word that gets thrown around a lot. And we, when we hear peace, we think usually of no war, no conflict, no more fighting, like a, like a peace treaty. And, and that's true. Like, I think we get that part of it. But also in our culture, we kind of use a very watered down version of the idea of peace. Uh, what we really, like a lot of people mean when they say peace is they just want like some, just some smooth music, just need some peace. Some, some ocean sounds, some white noise to, to drown out all of the other noise in my life. I just need some peace. I mean, I, I just need a mental break. I need some, some good weather, some good, just some, just some good vibrations. You know, like I, just, I just need to get away. Maybe I need a massage. But for God's people, the idea of peace is so much more than the absence of something bad. It's also the presence of something really good. In the Old Testament, this Hebrew word uh, for peace is shalom. You've probably heard this word. Um, shalom, uh, it does mean no conflict, uh, no war, salvation from an enemy. But shalom also means that broken things are put back together. That when, when, when all you need is provided for you, that's, that's shalom, that's peace. When your body is well and everything is working as it should, that's your, your body's at peace. Shalom, shalom is the picture of all the pieces in a structure put back together. All the many uh, disparate parts that, are, that have been broken apart, they're all put back together. And peace is when those parts are whole. Everything as it should be. It's, it's the complete feeling of knowing that everything's in order. It's, it's sitting out on your porch, rocking in your chair, knowing that there's no other task that needs to be done. There's nothing left to do. And this was Israel's expectation. This is what they longed for. They didn't make it up. God told them to expect this. He said through Moses, as, as he laid out the commands for how they were to live in the promised land, he said that if they followed his commands, uh, listen to what he says in Leviticus 26. If they follow his commands, he says, I will give peace to the land and you will lie down with nothing to frighten you. I will remove dangerous animals from the land and no sword will pass through your land. I mean, that's, that's next level peace, right? There's not even gonna be dangerous animals around. You're gonna be able to lay down in peace. Often when Jews would greet each other, they would inquire and ask about the other person's peace. We see this when Joseph hadn't seen his brothers for years and they arrived in Egypt. He asked them about their peace. How is your peace? How is your shalom? And this became such a popular greeting that around 400 BC, a common greeting amongst Jews, greeting one another would be to say, Shalom, Aleichem. This is, this is more than, what's up? Uh, hey, have a good day, you know? No, this is, may the Lord's peace rest upon you. May your life be whole. And, and, and don't we want that? Like, isn't that you what you want? that you would feel the sense that God's made everything right for you. We get tastes of it. We just get a little taste of it every now and then. We want, we want the feeling that all the, rest, all the broken things have been fixed. 
And don't you want that for your friends and for your loved ones, for your kids, for those you care about? God told Aaron uh, and the priest to speak this blessing over his people. In Numbers 6, they were to say, may the Lord bless you and protect you. May the Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord look with favor on you and give you what? Peace. And so that's what they wanted. They longed for it. And that's how they lived. They sang Psalm 125, peace be upon Israel. They sang David's prayer of Psalm 122, pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May they be secure who love you. And a couple of verses later, he says, for my brothers and my companions sake, I will say, peace be within you. That's what they wanted for everyone. So they would tell each other, shalom, alaikum, peace be upon you. And yet, every time it seemed like they had it, it would disappear. The, the peace that, that would settle on their land for just a minute was gone in another minute. Another enemy would arise. A disobedient king would lead them into chaos and into sin. In fact, their experience was everything but the restoration and wholeness of all things. Peace forever? They, they would have probably settled for peace for like a month. Peace for maybe just like a couple weeks. So Isaiah's words became their hope. A prince of peace is coming. A child will be born to us. He will bring the restoration and the wholeness that, that they've waited for. And it won't be another mirage in the desert this time. He's, he's really coming. It won't be here today and gone tomorrow because they believe what Isaiah 9, 7 said, that of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. No end to peace. Which leads us to number three, peace with us. So here we are back to Luke one, back to the pronouncement of John the Baptist's dad. Israel has longed for this peace and Zechariah is saying, we're, we're about to meet the one who is this promised Prince of Peace. And so we get that. Like, I think we, we kind of know, you kind of know the Christmas story. Like, you know the, the flow of the scriptures or at least have an idea of what this is all leading to. But God's people, I don't think they, they didn't fully understand it. They, heard, they had heard many promises in their life and yet few fulfillments. So many things they were still longing for. And in fact, in, in, a, in a twist of cruel irony, even in this very moment, there was no peace. In fact, there was a peace, but it wasn't theirs. Rome, their enemy, had peace. Israel's enemy in Israel's land proclaiming their own peace, their own shalom, History calls this the peace of Rome, the Pax Romana. And their emperor, their ruler, their prince, Caesar Augustus, he's the prince of peace on the scene. In fact, listen to these words that come, they came from a Roman, uh, Romans, a Roman inscription that was written about Caesar on one of his birthday celebrations. And this, this was written uh, on an inscription in the city of Prien, which is uh, in modern day Turkey. And it was, uh, this was about 9 BC. So this is the flavor of what's being said of Caesar. I shared this back when we walked through Luke 2, but it's so incredible. I wanna, I wanna share it with you again. Uh, this is what the inscription said. The most divine Caesar, we should consider equal to the beginning of all things. 
For when everything was falling into disorder, he restored it once more. What does that sound like, right? It sounds like the making new of all things, the restoration of all things, but it's, they're talking about Caesar. They, they, the inscription goes on. The providence which regulates our existence has brought our life to the climax of perfection in giving to us Emperor Augustus, who being sent to us and our descendants as savior has put an end to war and has set all things in order. And whereas having become God manifests, Caesar has fulfilled all the hopes of earlier times. The birthday of the God Augustus has been for the whole world, the beginning of good news concerning him. Isn't that crazy? Isn't it wild? First of all, it's just wild that they would say such things, but that they would say them about Augustus. It's almost comical that it would be said of Augustus. This is a guy who, if you know the story of Caesar Augustus, he was a violent dude and he brought, he brought peace. How did he get peace? He brought peace by taking out all of his opponents. Anyone who stood in his way, he killed them. All those who had stand, stood against his, uh, his father, his adoptive father, Julius Caesar, he wiped them out so that he could take power. But still... Uh, and, and imagine like for, Ro- for Romans and for those who lived there, that didn't put them at peace. Like they were, they were, they couldn't go to sleep well at night. I might get taken out by, by the Caesar tomorrow. But still amidst this supposed peace, the world was kind of dabbling in the spoils of peace, right? Trying to like play act with what peace should be. It's a counterfeit. And yet out in a tiny nothing town on the outskirts of nowhere, a town that wasn't even impressive to the Jews, a different ruler was rolling in. And this is what Micah tells us in Micah 5. Bethlehem, Ephrathah, you are small among the clans of Judah. One will come from you to be ruler over Israel for me. His origin is from antiquity, from ancient times. So Augustus was when Jesus was born, was probably about 60 years old. But Jesus, the one born out in Bethlehem, he was, he was around from the beginning of time. He was as old as time itself. And Augustus was worshiped by a few of those within Rome, but the Ancient of Days, the Prince of Peace, he is the worship of heaven. But how did he come in? Like a ninja, right? No pomp, no circumstance, no royal escort. This was, a, this was a sneak attack of peace. The son of God coming into a manger. There was no town crier out in the town square making the announcement for all to hear. There were only angels, only speaking to some dirty shepherds and saying, glory to God in the highest. And peace on earth to people he favors. And guess what? Peace wasn't in that moment bound up in a nation. It wasn't a Roman nation. It wasn't a Roman peace. It wasn't even a peace wrapped up in the nation of Israel. And believe it or not, it was not an American peace. The Prince of Peace didn't come for national peace. No, he, he brought a cosmic peace. When Jesus came on the scene, he was everything the Roman cult thought that Caesar was. Times a million. Jesus is something no earthly ruler can ever or will ever claim to be. He is the living, breathing, 
walking shalom of God. And through his incarnation, wherever he went, wherever he was, shalom was. He mended bones. He cast out demons. He brought peace to tortured men and women. He brought dignity where there had been shame. He cleansed the dirty. He, for, he forgave the sinful. And on one, uh, more than one occasion, he actually restored people who were dead and brought them back to life. And when he died a sinner's death and when he hung on the cross to take our sin, buried in the tomb, three days later, he rose from the dead. And, and what was the first thing Jesus said to his disciples as they were locked up in the room, terrified, looking over their shoulder? What did he say to them? He said, peace be with you. Peace be with you. In fact, three times after his resurrection, he, he walks in and he says to his disciples, peace be with you. And we actually have no record of Jesus saying this before. He had said things like, my peace I give to you. But now he says, peace, true peace is with you. And Jesus is peace. The grave was overcome and peace was alive. Standing in the room. They didn't need to be afraid anymore. They didn't have to worry about what was on the other side of that locked door. And what does the apostle Paul write to us now? He says to the churches, may the God of peace be with you. He's with us. The Prince of Peace is yours. Which leads us to number four, the peace yet to come. And so I ask the question, do, do you know the God of peace? Not, not, not do you know about him, or have you heard about the story? But do you know his peace? The only way to know his peace is to know him. And you may say, well, I, you know, I trust in Jesus, but I, my life feels like a big ball of, of anxiousness. It feels like anything but peace. And so I just want to say to us, like, let's, let's don't play act this Christmas when it comes to peace. Jesus wants more more than that for you this Christmas. Don't, don't just settle for like good feelings and, and warm thoughts and the holly jollies or whatever those are, uh, the, 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 good, the good meals and the family time. Those might make you feel whole for, for a moment, but it won't last. No, I, I want us to hear the words of the risen Christ this season that say to us, peace be with you. I want to close by, by giving us uh, three gifts of the peace of Christ for us this Christmas. Number one, the peace of God. We have, we have peace with God. Romans 5 says, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. If there's nothing else that you know today, know this, that you can believe in the Lord Jesus and you will have peace with the Father. You will know what it is to, to be right with the Father, for things to be right with him, perfectly restored to be his child. Because you know what we are in, in our natural state, we, we, we came into this world enemies, rebels. We were unloving. We've been disobedient, selfish, prideful, full of lust and lies, 
unable to clean ourselves up, unable to fix ourselves. But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love that he had for you in Christ Jesus, he called you. He saved you. If you've trusted him, then the son of God forgives you. He dies in your place. And now, if you've trusted him, you can call him friend. You can look to God, the father, and, and be his child and call him your father. So if, if you've never done that, if you've never turned to Jesus, like if you've just kind of gone through Christmas seasons, if you've gone through church service after church service, if you're, maybe you're here for the first time and, and you're, you got drugged here by a friend and you don't even know why you're here, I, you can turn to Jesus today. You don't have to live with piles of guilt and shame just walking around wondering how it could all be right. You can have peace with the Father today. Turn to Jesus. He will forgive you. Go to him. The peace of Christ has come to you today. Believe in him. Number two, the second gift is peace and anxiety. Maybe, maybe you just go, man, I, I, yes, I know Jesus, but I'm just, I'm riddled by fear, riddled with anxiety. And look, I, I know life, life is hard. Um, it is. And, and these are, these are things that come upon us and they can be so difficult to wrestle through. But, but Jesus said this, you're going to have trouble. He said, in this world, you will have trouble. But he came to you. He didn't stay on the other side of the galaxy. He didn't stay on the other side of the room. He came into the manger so that he could come and be with you and to bring his peace to you. And so now he offers you peace. Philippians chapter four says that, that if we bring our prayers and our petitions and our needs before the Prince of Peace, here's what Paul says that we get. We get a peace of God that passes understanding that will guard our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. This is a, 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 a battle force of God's peace so that you don't have to constantly live in fear and looking over your shoulder because you know that you're flanked on either side by the peace of God. He's with you. This offer of peace is not some pie in the sky thing. It's a moment by moment, second by second. In your moment of fear, he's with you. You can walk with him. And so that's what he offers to you today. You can come to him now. He meets you today. This might come in the form of Christian brothers and sisters, through sermons, through counselors, through reading his word, but, but, but know this, underneath all of those things, the Lord Jesus is what you need. He is the peace that you need. C.S. Lewis says this. He said, God cannot give us happiness and peace apart from himself because it is not there. There is no such thing. So if you are anxious, take heart. Take heart. The peace of Christ has come to you. And then lastly, the third gift is peace forever. I think one of the, one of the God's graces in, in all the upheaval that we've experienced over the last several years, uh, we just say words like 2020 and 2021 and they have like, they just conjure up things in us. 
Um, and, and, and even since, it's not like we go, yeah, but 2022 was perfect. Um, no, there's this constant turmoil, right? All across the world, crisis after crisis, no end in sight. And I think one of God's biggest graces in all of this, is the beauty is this, is that it actually serves us because it helps us to realize that every hope of earthly peace inevitably proves insufficient. We've had all these other pieces throughout this, this, the last, this season, right? Where it was like, man, if we can just get past COVID, then there'll, then there'll be peace. If we can just get a vaccine, then there will be peace. If, if we can just get an election outcome that we want, then there will be peace. And maybe it's none of those things. Maybe it's just all of the other things. Maybe it's, man, if I can just finally get married, there will be peace. If I can just get past this season with my child, who I'm, re- I'm really struggling, but once we get on the other side, it'll be peaceful. And if I, can just, if I can just get my kids grown, and then I'll have some freedom, and there'll be some peace again. It never ends. This yearning for peace. What is your false shalom? Your false peace. Is it a circumstance that you're hoping is just going to be resolved? Maybe, maybe your hope right now is in, in a perfect Christmas. Like the perfect Christmas is your shalom. You're Clark Griswold and you're about to welcome everybody over to the house and you're gonna throw on the, the happiest Christmas around. Uh, it, didn't, it didn't work out. It's another good picture of the gospel. Um, the, maybe, maybe it's like, man, I just need a break. I just need some time off from work. I just need school to be over for a couple of weeks so I can have some peace. I need a vacation. Which dream for you, if it were to come true this Christmas season, would give you peace? And this is why we practice Advent. This is why we light the candles. Yes, it is to remember the waiting of God's people, that they were waiting for the coming Messiah, the Prince of Peace, but it's also so that we might long for the forever peace that's only going to come when the Prince of Peace comes again. Dietrich Bonhoeffer wrote that all of life is Advent. All of life is is a longing for Christ's coming again. And what's amazing is he wrote that while he was in prison. And even maybe more amazing is that, that in the prison where, as he wrote, where he wrote that, shortly before uh, World War II ended, just as peace was on the horizon, uh, he was going to be free to go back and to enter into his ministry again and go back to, go back to his fiance and his life. He was executed in the prison just before it all ended. And we don't, we don't talk about things like that just to say, oh man, this world, just a big disaster. No, it's, it's not that we'll never experience peace here. We can, we will. Christ says he's with you. He is your peace. No matter how much unrest is around you. But there is something still coming. And I think that means that the, the, the Bill Murray Scrooge, he, he's, in one way, he wasn't wrong. You do, you gotta want that feeling. You gotta long for that feeling. You gotta, you, you gotta be greedy for it. You gotta, you're made to want it every day of your life. But also, you'll never fully know it here. We will be always longing. Always longing, but only knowing partially. But 
in the next Advent, when the other coming of Christ happens, then we will know in full. Then we will experience his peace fully and it will be so worth the wait. And in that day, peace is not going to come in in a Judean back alley. Peace won't even come in in a palace. He won't need a town crier. No, Isaiah 40 tells us that on that day, the mountains and the valleys will make the announcement. And the Prince of Peace, when he rolls in, Isaiah 40 tells us that every valley will be lifted up and every mountain and hill will be leveled and uneven ground will become smooth and the rough places a plain and the glory of the Lord will appear and all humanity together will see it. For the mouth of the Lord is spoken. Let me pray for us. Oh, Father, we do long for that day that the peace that we so badly long for, the peace that we experience even just a glimpse of as we're with you in the valley of the shadow of death, you are so gracious to, to sustain us and to help us and to give us, to take our fear, to give us rest and peace. But Lord, we long for that peace that never ends. And we thank you that the finished work of Jesus is what ensures us that it will happen. And so we wait. We wait with you. And we thank you that you are here with us through your spirit and because of your son. So would you lead us now? Would you help us to believe the truth of the peace that you offer? And would you draw all of us to come and to find peace in you? I pray this in Christ's name. Amen.